Hi, it's James. Welcome to the podcast. I apologize I didn't get this done last night. Um, my air conditioning unit is here. Um, the guy that... There's a person here nearby that lives pretty close that fixes RVs, and he wanted to charge me $1,800 for the for the air conditioning unit plus labor. And, um, so I got one, it, it literally just, st- it stands up on the floor, uh, for 220, but you have to run a hose from the back of it to the window, otherwise, um, it basically blows hot air out the back, so it doesn't do you any good. Um... Although it's so hot in here right now, I'm going to turn it on for a little bit. Um, today we're going to talk about chapter chapter 5 in the book, dealing with um, African Christianity. Um, a lot of people don't know that one of the greatest theologians of all time... Uh, Augustine was in Africa. He was in northern Africa, but he was in Africa. The um, coast of northern Africa touches the Mediterranean. Um, So, the Roman Empire was very much interested in southern Europe, um, Spain, Italy, Greece, and then... Israel, and then the northern parts of Africa, which would include modern um, Libya, Egypt, uh, and then over towards Morocco. Um, Now, earlier on, before that, you had um, Alexandria in the northeast part of the of the continent of Africa and Carthage in the northwest. Uh, the church was um, some of the main thinkers was Clement in origin. Clement was in the Egyptian city of Alexandria that acted kind of like it's the intellectual and the cultural capital. Uh, it was very much a center of artistic, scientific, and philosophical activity not only in the Greek world, but in the Roman world. And Alexandria had a huge Jewish population as well. Now, we don't know when Christianity really started there. Uh, The New Testament says Apollos came from there. Uh, See Acts 18, 24-28. That's probably how the Christian faith was established uh, amongst Hellenistic Jews, you know, Jews that spoke Greek. Um, and then the Gnostic movement had Alexandrian roots as well. All right, it's just I'm gonna I have to move this air conditioning unit. out the back isn't too bad. Um, 
So anyway, um, I apologize. Uh, Clement of Alexandria was really the first great Christian teacher in Alexandria whose writings have survived. Uh, um, he appeared on the scene in about 170 or 180. Seems to have vanished around 202. Uh, although scholars think he died in Asia Minor in 215. Uh, Clement was impressed by a philosopher who became a Christian. Uh, Pantheus, I think. P-A-N-T-A-N-E-U-S. Uh, and when he died, Christian or Clement took over the leadership of the Christian Academy. There's three main writings of Clement that come, come down to us. That's the exhortation to the Greeks. This is an apology. Remember, an apology. Apologist is someone who defends the faith for Christianity, which criticized pagan religion and sought to convert the reader to Christ. Clement presented Christ as the eternal Logos, who is educating the whole human race. Um, Logos in Greek is word. So you look at John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, that's where that thinking comes from. Uh, he recommended a simple lifestyle. This was in a book called The Tutor. And this this was mainly focused on how we should conduct ourselves. I really think this is applicable to today. Uh, he Like I said, he recommended a simple lifestyle, which is midway between luxury and poverty. I do believe that God blesses us, but I don't believe that we're supposed to hoard it. I do believe that God blesses us. And therefore, we should be use that to be a blessing to other people. Um, I'll tell you right now that yesterday when I came home, I was really excited about the fact that I had uh, my air conditioning unit. But I looked over to my right, and the people who had a trailer over there, uh, their trailer had caught on fire, and... Uh, was burnt to a crisp. All that was left of it was the frame of the uh, mobile home. So, um, just pray for my neighbors, please. Um, I'm not going to say their names, just to protect their, um, just to protect their identity. But just pray for my neighbors. Um, I'm already got some clothes in mind that I could give away if needed. I think that's what, you know, when somebody's in, in need, that's what you should do. So, Clement's book, The Tutor, really, I think, has a lot of practical uh, elements. Then he wrote another book called Carpetbags. He offers his ideal of what a perfect Christian is. He's taught that faith, believing what the Bible says, was only the first step in the Christian life. After faith comes knowledge. Uh, he uses the Greek word gnosis, but he's not a Gnostic. Uh, it's a, just a growing spiritual knowledge of God which transformed the human mind into God's likeness. Uh, Clement said the Christian was the real Gnostic. And I do think that sanctification is important. Uh, Clement opposed the Gnostics, but 
may have absorbed some of their attitudes. Uh, he defended the goodness of marriage against Gnostic criticism, but did not believe a Christian couple could have sex for enjoyment. Um, this is like 3rd century, I believe. Or am I messing up? Uh, no, 2nd century. This is 2nd century thinking. And this view was later repeated by Augustine. So, you can see the beginnings of where the whole idea of priests have to be celibate, and um, it's like you're married to, um, that you're like married to the Lord. So, I'm going to grab something to drink here real quick. But, I mean, these, these traditions that are in the modern Roman Catholic Church, they do have their roots, historical roots. Problem is, they don't have biblical roots. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, that if you're married, stay married. It's good for you just to be married, and to, so you don't be, you're not tempted Uh to commit fornication, you're not tempted by the world. But he also said, if you're single, stay single and live for the Lord. So he didn't, he actually didn't say one was better than the other. He just said, wherever you are in life, stay that way. Because he felt that the, the end was coming. I mean, we all, deep down inside, hope and long for the end. Okay. A uh, really important quote from the book. Remember, I'm quoting from Nick Needham's book, "The Age of the Early Christian Fa the Early Church Fathers." Uh, we're on volume one, by the way. Uh, page one sixteen. Few Christians were better equipped than Clement to meet the pagan intellectuals of Alexandria on equal terms and present the Christian faith to them in a way they could understand and honor. So. He was trying to reach out to these Greek-speaking people who trusted the, the uh, pagan philosophers and show them, no, there's a better way. Uh, you can try to uh, improve your life through uh, intellectualism, but you can't live a, a pure life on your own. You need the grace of God. And the only one that provides that is Jesus. Okay. Origin. I'll just tell you up front, I have mixed feelings about Origin. He lived from 185 to 254. Uh, he was born in Alexandria to Christian parents about 185. His father, Leonides was martyred in 202. It's spelled L-E-O-N-I-D-E-S. I'm probably butchering his name, and I f ask for your forgiveness. Origen became a pupil of Clement. Uh, he, um... I hope this doesn't offend you, but I'm just reading what the, what the text says. He castrated himself. 
he wanted to live a life so devoted to God that he didn't even want to think about sex or getting married. Uh, he later dis- expressed his disapproval of his interpretation of Matthew nineteen twelve. But Origen was extremely brilliant. And he was um, appointed ahead of a school for those who wanted to be baptized. Uh, these were later known, the people that were studying uh, before they got baptized in the early church were known as catechumens. I love the fact that Nick Needham actually puts in the um, alliteration, so how to actually say the word. It's spelled C-A-T-E-C-H-C-U-M-E-N-S, but it's pronounced catechumens. And the Greek word katechko, or katechko, uh, is means to teach or to instruct. The church instructed them for two to three years prior to their baptism. Um, I don't think it would be like the equivalent of a seminary education, but I do think it's important to learn the basics of the faith. I, I would argue that you don't need to learn all of the basics of the faith uh, before you become a Christian. The Bible says that you need to repent of your sin and so if the, if the scriptures are, are preached and the uh, Holy Spirit changes your heart and you're convicted of sin and you're told that Jesus is the only way to get to God, that's good enough for me. Um, Origin was so smart. It's not a... My notes, I'm just going off of some other things that I've read and heard about him. He would literally have people following around him around and copying down what he said. They were literally scribes that would dictate things as he was walking along. And he put out a tremendous amount of literature. A lot of it has survived. Um... Unfortunately, Origen was arrested during a fresh outbreak of persecution during the Emperor Deicus, D-E-C-I-U-S, in 220, and he died as a result of injuries in 254. Now, his books could be divided into four categories. Number one, biblical. He wrote commentaries on almost every Old and New Testament book. It was called the Hexapla. Uh, first Principles. This was really the first attempt of anyone to produce a systematic theology. He wrote a book against Celsus, who was a pagan philosopher and a Platonist. And then he wrote practical writings. He wrote a book on prayer. Uh, it's the oldest known commentary on the Lord's Prayer. An exhortation to martyrdom. Origen said the Bible alone, not Plato or any pagan philosopher, was inspired. He also said that the Bible had three levels of meaning body, soul, and spirit. So there's the literal meaning, the moral or ethical meaning, and then the spiritual meaning. To him, the deeper meaning was its allegorical meaning. He felt creation happened in two stages. It was a purely spiritual world, and then that God created a physical universe of space and time. Um, 
Problem is, um, Origen believed even Satan could repent and be saved. He was a universalist. He said that hell was not a place of eternal punishment, but a place where the purifying fire cleansed souls from their sin. So there's a lot of things that I agree with Origen. I like the fact that he felt that the Bible alone is inspired and that these pagan philosophers and other um, even commentaries are not inspired. Um, But for him to claim that everyone's going to be saved, uh, he really needs to look at verses like Matthew 25 with the sheep and the goats and other passages where Jesus talked about the uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But remember, history repeats itself. Here in the 21st century, we have people like Rob Bell and Bishop Carlton Pearson. Um, in Carthage, you had Tertullian and Cyprian. Now, there were two chief ethnic groups inhabiting Northwest Africa. You had um, basically the descendants of the Phoenicians of Palestine. And I want to say there was a large group of uh, um, Hellenistic Jews. It's not in my notes. Hmm. Um, according to um, the book, we know nothing of Christianity in Northwest Africa before the year 180. There were tro- 12 Christians in what's now modern-day Tunisia that were martyred in Carthage. Now, throughout its history, it saw itself as a church of martyrs. Tertullian lived from 160 to 225. He was the first great Christian writer in the Latin language. He was a native of Carthage, born in 160. He received a high standard of education in Greek and Roman culture. Uh, He was converted to Christianity about the age of 30. Historians argue whether he was ever ordained. Now, his writings are grouped into three three main groups. Uh, the relationship between Christianity and the Roman Empire. Remember, the people in the 200s or 2nd century, um, the 100s, you know, into the 200s, the 3rd century, were trying to write and defend the Christian faith against pagan philosophy and culture. Uh, he wrote an apology that the Roman government should stop persecuting the church, that Christians pay their taxes, and even pray for their emperor's safety. Uh, he argued that Christians should not take part in any affairs of the pagan society. Uh, it was Tertullian that said, what is Athens to do with Jerusalem? A uh, second category of writings that he did was the defense against of orthodoxy against heresy. Uh, he wrote against Marcion. Remember, the Marcionites believed that uh, the New Testament God was superior to the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God was evil. Uh, they only 
trust the Gospel of Luke. They only trust ten letters of Paul. So, Tertullian spent a lot of time defending the church against heretics. He also wrote books about the moral behavior of Christians. Tertullian had a very high and strict ideals of the true Christian life, and he often recommended frequent fasts. Um, Interesting, though, that Tertullian did not die a martyr. He did get a lot of respect from early church fathers, but many back then thought he was a heretic. Of course, you know, if somebody doesn't agree with you, it's easy to, you know, well, they're a heretic. When in reality, it might be just two different points of view. I mean, there's some that believe that you should take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. The Disciples of Christ, the Church of Christ, any from the Stone Campbell movement uh, really believe that very strongly. Where Jesus said, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. So... Some churches do it once a month. Some churches do it once a week. Does that make one side right and the other wrong? I don't think so. But, those that's the kind of situation where you're dealing, you're arguing amongst believers. Now, Cyprian lived from 200 to 258. Uh, Christianity quick, spread quickly through northern Africa during and after Tertullian's lifetime. Unfortunately, emperors uh, Decius, who 249 to 251, and Emperor Valerian ordered the first full-scale universal empire-wide persecution of churches. The bishop of Carthage at the time of these persecutions was Cyprian. Uh, as I said earlier, he was born around 200 in Carthage, upper class, rich. He was a famous lawyer and professor of rhetoric. But he was disgusted with the corruption and immorality of the pagan society. He converted to Christianity in 246, gave away his entire fortune to the poor. Within two or three years of becoming a Christian, his outstanding qualities of character, his gentleness, his love, his peaceful spirit led to his election as Bishop of Carthage. His greatest influence on, the greatest influence on Cyprian was Tertullian. Uh, he did not see, and you have to understand, this is 3rd century. Cyprian did not see the Eucharist as a fresh sacrifice for sins. Although through the Eucharist, Christ presented himself to God the Father as the one who made the once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of his people. So those that want to argue about the mass and that the the body and the the bread becomes the literal body and the the juice becomes the literal blood of Christ. If you go back far enough, you'll see early church fathers that said, "No, that's not the case." Hmm. 
Um, his main concern was the Christian unity, you know, the unity of the... And they refer to themselves as Catholics because of the rise of the Gnostics. You know, we believe the same things that Christians in North Africa and in Italy and in Greece and in Spain and in Jerusalem believe. That was their mindset. It wasn't what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church. That did not exist until much later. Um, Cyprian also would not admit that even Rome's bishop had any actual authority over his fellow bishops. Uh, he did not see the other bishops as infallible. He even accused Bishop Stephen of Rome of, quote, error, arrogant claims, irrelevant statements, and contradictions. Um, but although he said outside the Catholic Church there is no salvation. Um, unfortunately... Theseus had ordered all citizens to sacrifice to the gods and obtain an official certificate stating that they had done so. A large number of church members had either offered sacrifice or bribed magistrates to give them a fake certificate. Now the persecution was done. The question is, what do we do with these so-called lapsed Christians? Should they be accepted back immediately or should they have to wait a period of time? And who has the authority to make these decisions? Um, Cyprian presided over a local church council in Carthage at 251. Uh, he felt that they could be received back into the church, but only after a period of time, after doing penance. The confessors, these were Christians who had been imprisoned but not executed for the faith. Um, now, there was a presbyter... Uh, Novatus, who thought Cyprian was too strict. Um, Nov Novation, as a theologian, wrote a book called Concerning the Trinity. Now, Stephen, who was the Bishop of Rome, said that if a person was baptized in the name of the Trinity, their baptism was valid. The problem is he tried to force his views on the church churches in Northwest Africa, and uh, Cyprian resisted, felt that each bishop could decide on his own. Persecution again broke out under Emperor Val Valerian. The authorities were arrested and banished Cyprian in 257, and they martyred him in 258. So, next week we'll get into... I think we, that's when we'll get to... Um, I apologize, I thought we were going to cover um, Augustine in this chapter. I didn't mean to mislead you, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the early church, uh, especially North Africa. Um, the church really flourished in North Africa up until 6th and 7th century um, when the um, Muslims took over. But Christianity was not just a European religion. Um, 
anybody who says that does not know their church history. Uh, I would also say that um, that um, oh, where was I going to? Um, even today, um, the the split that has taken place with the United Methodist Church and the group that that split off is now known as the Global Methodist Church. A lot of the Methodists that are in Africa are more conservative and they don't support same-sex marriage and they don't support abortion. And some of the more liberal churches in the United Methodist Church in America do. So the fact that Methodism is thriving in Africa is not a surprise. Um, eventually we will get to Augustine, but Tertullian, Cyprian, a lot of the early church fathers lived in north, the northern part of Africa, so the fact that Christianity is once again thriving in Africa is not a surprise. It's, like I said, it's history repeating itself. So, uh, I do apologize for doing this on Saturday. Um, I will say it's a lot easier to do it on Saturday. Um, I tell you what, let's just plan on that from here on out. Um, because I do the first two videos, I'll do two videos during the week. And then the podcast on on the weekend. Uh, it just makes my schedule a little bit easier. I'm actually doing two YouTube channels. I've got my ministry channel, and then I've got uh, this new uh, one that I'm doing about sports. If you're, why would I waste my time doing that? It's like, well, there's a lot of people online that want to take pot shots at Oklahoma State, so. Um. And you know, I'm, when I get done here, I'm gonna take a shower and go um, coffee house, uh, Black Rifle Coffee, and uh, go study because I, I'm starting on my mass, or not my master's degree. I'm starting on my doctorate, and I've got uh, some reading I got to do. So I do love you guys. We'll get to chapter six in this book next week, and uh, until then, I hope you have a great weekend.